Welcome to the first bonus episode of the Kinsman Die podcast, home of fantasy fiction based on Norse mythology that's written and read by me, Matt Bishop. In the regular podcast, I read my first novel, Kinsman Die, one chapter at a time. Every five chapters, I recap the key plot points and provide some insight into the myths I've referenced in the book, as well as some of the creative choices I've made along the way. Because of how the chapters and recaps fall, it looks like that in some weeks there will only be one episode in published in that week. So to avoid that, I'm going to publish, time permitting of course, one of these bonus episodes. And in this particular bonus episode, I'm going to read portions of one myth that was influential in my interpretation of the myths and in my adaptation of the story, or the adaptation of that myth into my book. And maybe it'll give you a little bit of insight into kind of how I've approached reading and analyzing and interpreting and incorporating the myths in general into the, the world that I've created. This week, I'll be reading from the Grimnasmal, which is one of the poems in the Poetic Edda. The main text will be cited from sacred texts, as usual. And I do also reference Dr. Jackson Crawford's translation of the Poetic Edda for a more kind of modern English, much more uh, literal translation of the of the poem, which is super helpful. And I'm also going to be referencing The Children of Odin, the book of Northern Myths by Padraic Colum. And he was Poet Laureate in Ireland for a long time. So the first reading is from the prose introduction to the Grimnismal, which is from the Poetic Edda. King Hrothung had two sons. One was called Agnar and the other Geroth. Agnar was ten winters old and Geroth eight. Once they both rowed in a boat with their fishing gear to catch little fish, and the wind drove them out into the sea. In the darkness of the night, they were wrecked on the shore. Going up, they found a poor peasant with whom they stayed through the winter. The housewife took care of Agnar, and the peasant cared for Gerard, and taught him wisdom. In the spring, the peasant gave him a boat, and when the couple led them to the shore, the peasant spoke secretly with Gerard. They had a fair wind, and came to their father's landing place. Gerard was forward in the boat. He leaped up on land, but pushed out the boat, and said, Go thou now where evil may have thee, and the boat drifted out to sea. Gerard, however, went up to the house and was well received, but his father was dead. Then Gerard was made king and became a renowned man. Okay, so here's a summary of what's happened. A king has two boys, Agnar and Gerard. Agnar is the older of the two. They go out fishing and they get swept away in a winter storm. They are found by a peasant and his wife. The wife cares for Agnar while the peasant cares for Gerard. The peasant whispers something to Gerard. Upon returning home, Gerard leaps out of the boat and pushes Agnar back out to sea. Okay, back to the myth. Odin and Frigg sat in the high seat and looked over all the worlds. Odin said, Seest thou Agnar, thy fosterling, how he begets children with a giantess in the cave? But Gerard, my fosterling, is a king and now rules over his land. So this paragraph just changed the meaning of what we read previously. The housewife is Frigg and the peasant is Odin. In my mind, that raises a few questions. Did Odin tell Gerard to ostensibly murder his brother? Just, you know, push him out to sea? He didn't know what was going to happen, but I would imagine that he didn't expect him to end up in a cave with a giantess. Since that's what actually ends up happening to Agnar... 
there's an implication that that is the evil thing that that's a really bad fate for a really bad doom for Agnar. And in Crawford's translation, he uses the word troll rather than giant, uh, which is a pretty common way to view the evil Jotun. Okay, so back to the myth. And here I'm going to summarize because there's a lot that kind of goes on. Frigg says, yeah, Gerard might be a king, but he's stingy with food to his guests. Odin says, that's a lie, and then makes a wager with Frigg about the matter. And then the narrator kind of breaks in and confirms that this is slander about Gerard. He is not stingy with his guests. For me, what happens next in the, in the narration, in, the, in, the, in this prose section, is unclear. But here's what it's written. Frigg sends her maidservant Fulla to King Gerard with a message saying, A magician is coming to town to bewitch you. You'll know him because no dog will attack him. And then a man shows up wearing a dark blue mantle and called himself Grimnir, but said no more about himself. But no dogs would attack him, so the king has him seized and, as you do, tortured. Which is probably because the king is acting on the intelligence given to him by Fulla that this individual is here to bewitch the king, and he doesn't, he's protecting himself in this, it seems to me, in this narration. So what I'm not clear on really is, first of all, did Odin know that Frigg sent the messenger? I don't think so. I also find that there's the disagreement and wager between Frigg is both there and I find it incredibly interesting. And maybe it is rooted in what Gerard did to Frigg's fosterling, Agnar. Also, the housewife, who we learn is Frigg, seems to have been unaware that the peasant, who was Odin, said something secretly to Gerard. Otherwise, why use the word secret in the narration? But Frigg does know, we think, possibly, that Gerard pushed his brother out into the sea. But she doesn't know why that happened, just that it did happen, because she can see the end result is that he ended up in an evil place. So that, in my mind, changes the dynamic between Odin and Frigg. And it also seems to me, and I read it a little bit like this, that Odin is taunting Frigg when he says, look, your fosterling is copulating with a giantess while mine is a king. Aren't I awesome? And then, in response, Frigg sends Fulla out to set Odin up. So, back to the myth now. The magician calls himself Grimnir, which means masked one, or in Crawford's translation, shadowed face. King Gerard has Odin set between two fires where he stands unburning for eight nights. Uh, Odin stands there unburning. This scene is reminiscent of a scene in another poem, the name escapes me, where the Asir torture of Vanir say the woman, uh, a magician, a female sorcerer, who is possibly Freya in the same way. They chain her in a fire and she burns. I think it's just for three nights. I don't believe spears will will break, will break hurt her at all or anything like that. And then that's all part of the Asir Vanir War, which I may need to cover in more detail pretty soon. Odin says that because Agnar brought him ale, Agnar will, be king, will become king over the Goths. And the Goths is just the, the word used in this particular... Edda to refer to the people over, over whom Gerard rules. And then the majority of the poem is Odin singing and speaking about place names, people, events, prophecies, etc. that all happen within Norse myth, and that kind of goes beyond what I wanted to address in this particular episode. 
but I will read the last few stanzas before the final prose paragraph, in which Odin says, and this is stanza 51, Drunk art thou, Gerard, too much didst thou drink, much hast thou lost, for help no more from me or my heroes thou hast. 52. Small heed didst thou take to all that I told, and false were the words of thy friends. For now the sword of my friend I see that waits all wet with blood. 53. Thy sword-pierced body shall yig have soon, for thy life is ended at last. The maids are hostile, now Odin behold. Now come to me if thou canst. Now am I Odin, yg I was once. All right, so here's a quick summary. Essentially, Odin's ripping Gerard a new one, kind of taunting him, prophesizing his death as well, and saying, Thy sword-pierced body shall yig have soon. And then he names himself as, This is Odin, who stands before you. And back to the myth. King Gerard sat and had his sword on his knee, half drawn from its sheath. But when he heard that Odin was come thither, then he rose up and sought to take Odin from the fire. The sword slipped from his hand and fell with the hilt down. The king stumbled and fell forward, and the sword pierced him through and slew him. Then Odin vanished, but Agnar long ruled there as king. So, quick summary. I read that paragraph as the king realized how just how badly he screwed up, and he goes to take Odin from the fire. He trips, he falls on his own sword, and he dies. Now, did Odin cause that to happen? Did he... Odin just foresee it happening, as in prophecy? I think those are probably the only two particular options, or was the guy just clumsy or something? But let me jump now to some of the relevant pieces from The Children of Odin, the book of Northern Myths that by Padre Colum that I had mentioned earlier. And in his book, Grimness Mall is called Odin Faces an Evil Man. Colum obviously made some changes, just based on that title alone. And I'm going to summarize a lot of this, but I'll, I'll quote some of the... Um, kind of the major points, or some of the language in particular that illustrates what changed. First off, uh, he puts Odin front and center, dispensing with the peasant and housewife thing that we saw in Grimnismal. The overall events, particularly in the intro, are basically the same, but Odin says to Frigg, we shall see which of the two shall be formed into the noblest hero, and we don't get any of that in, in Grimnismal itself. Colum also describes Agnar as having a gentle voice and kind ways, whereas Gerard is described as being strong and passionate with a high, loud voice. Odin teaches Gerard all sorts of stuff, hunting, fishing, fencing, fighting. Frigg teaches Agnar myths, history, weaving, that kind of stuff. And before sending them back in spring, Odin says to Gerard secretly, I will come to visit you. Do not be too proud to receive a fisherman in your hall. A king should welcome even the poorest to his hall. And while that is echoed a lot in even some of the stuff I've read so far in Havamal, it also sounds to me very Christian. And Colin was writing in, I think he this was published in 1920. So, I mean, take that for what it's worth. I didn't do a whole lot of uh, historical t- context digging into you know that particular time period in Ireland when he was writing and what his particular motivations might or might not have been in creating this particular text. But, you know, coming from a Western mindset, pretty obvious to me, at least, particularly in the use of the word fisherman, Fisher King, Percival, those kinds of types of things, that this is kind of a Christian mindset, which is not a bad thing. I'm just kind of pointing it out. And Gerard replies saying, oh, I'll be king, 
but Agnar Littlegood was born before me. And this shifts the onus from the evil deed from maybe Odin to Gerard. Grimna Small does not explicitly say what Odin whispered to Gerard. And then events continue basically as they happened in the myth with Gerard pushing Agnar out to sea. But it changes in that we find out that Agnar survived and returned to his rightful kingdom in the guise of a servant. Again, that feels very Christian to me. Colum as narrator then intrudes, saying that Odin has drunk from Mimir's well and wanders through the world, judging kings and simple people based on the wisdom he's gained. And Odin expects Gerard, when he visits the kingdom, to be a great and noble king, because Odin taught him everything that he knows. So Odin arrives in the guise of a wanderer. I forget exactly how Colum describes him, but it's similar to how Odin is described in, in the Grimnismal. And he first happens upon Agnar. And Odin, of course, knows who Agnar is immediately. And Agnar treats Odin the Wanderer very well and tells him not to go visit the king because the king is mean and doesn't like beggars. Odin, of course, goes to the hall anyway. The porter at the door says, dude, don't go in there. The king's in a bad mood. He doesn't like beggars. And Odin's like, I'm going in. I don't care what you say. And the porter says, fine, but don't say I didn't warn you. So Odin strides in and sees Gerard at the table with his friends, all dark-bearded and cruel-looking men. And Odin knew that the boy he'd trained in nobility had become a king over robbers. In Grimnismal, this is not what is being said. The source doesn't tell us much of anything, really, about not only about what the peasant taught Gerard, but how Gerard is acting. If anything, we know that Gerard is, in fact, generous to wanderers, because it's a it's a slander, which Odin says to Frigg. The narrator intrudes in, Gr- in Grimna Small and says, yeah, that, that is a lie. Gerard was actually good to people. And we know that Frigg sent her servant woman, Fulla, out to Gerard and told him, watch out for the magician who's coming to town because he's going to bewitch you. In Colum's text, Odin is then bound, set in a fire, and you know, burn for eight nights again, during which point he denounces the king and his men for their evil life of robbing and pillaging and all sorts of nastiness. As in Grimnismal, Agnar brings ale secretly at night to, to Odin. On the ninth night, Odin sings of how evil Gerard has become and how, rather than making noble use of his strength, he used it poorly like a wild beast Gerard, infuriated, rushes at Odin, strikes him with his sword, which doesn't hurt him, then just kind of staggers back in amazement. Odin reveals who he is, I am Odin, transforms the king and his buddies into wolves that range the forests. And Odin makes Agnar king, who becomes strong and victorious in his rule. If we take both these together, and it's kind of like comparing apples to oranges in a little way, pretty obvious how a column changed or reinterpreted the myth for his own purposes. That's exactly what I'm doing. But as I've said, the myth itself, Grimnismal, leaves it very much up to the imagination what was actually said by the peasant man, who is Odin, to the boy Gerard. Gerard ends up a king because of his actions, and then Agnar, the, uh, the boy Agnar, ends up in a cave with a Jotun woman, and he's... Presumably, he just lives there and you know has lots of kids and stuff. We don't know anything more about him. Because of Odin, Agnar ended badly, presumably. Because of Frigg, for Frigg's direct slash indirect action, Gerard ended up badly. He was deposed and killed. 
But in Colum's myth, obviously, Agnar is the one who acted ki- in both myths. The, a, a boy named Agnar acted kindly toward Odin and became king afterward. Why did all this happen? I think in the source material, it's entirely because of Odin and Frigg getting involved in human affairs. In Colum's, Odin and Frigg are quote-unquote good gods who teach people how to be noble, and then Odin, who became wise after drinking from Mimir's well, punishes an evil man for misusing his gifts, while he then raises up a man, trained by Frigg, who is gentle and kind and smart, but who also ends up being strong and victorious during his reign. In Grimnismal, I like that conflict between Frigg and Odin, and it's greatly influenced how I'm trying to portray them in, in my own books, for better or for worse. Um, hopefully I'm doing it well. In Columns, I like Frigg's subtle influence. It's there in Grimnismal as well, but also the implication that, whether it was intended or not, that a blending of masculine and feminine wisdom is required for a king, at least in this particular context, to be noble. But enough of what I think. What do you think? You can let me know by rating the podcast, reviewing the podcast, or doing both. Both are hugely important for raising the show's visibility, so please, if you have the opportunity, you have the time, please leave a review. And thanks to everyone who's been listening, and who will listen. I love putting the show together, so please let me know what you like, dislike, or what you want more of, or less of as the case may be. I'm going to end this episode with a few stanzas from Grimna Small that I particularly like, with a few comments from me after each stanza. Stanza 19. Frecky and Gary does Hairfather feed, the far-famed fighter of old. But on wine alone does the weapon-decked god, Odin, forever live. I wonder if this means that Odin feeds his wolves from his plate, if he's, you know, at his dinner table, and he throws, you know, the, the meat and the bones and stuff down to his, to his wolves. Or does it mean that he feeds them by causing war, and then the wolves feed upon the dead? Stanza 31. Three roots there are that three ways run neath the ash tree Yggdrasil. Neath the first lives Hel, neath the second the frost giants, neath the last are the lands of men. So in this stanza, obviously, neath is short for beneath. And Yggdrasil is here described as an ash tree. In another poem, I think Volaspud's described perhaps as a yew tree. And it has three roots that run in three different directions. One goes beneath hell, which is sometimes called Helheim, sometimes called Niflhel. Beneath another is the land of the frost giants, which is the Jotun which is Jotunheim or Utgard, depending on uh, what context we're talking about. And the last is the lands of men, which is Midgard, the middle realm, the middle enclosure. And this is just one of the descriptions on how the realms intertwine. And note that there's only three realms listed here. In other sources, there are nine. Sometimes I think there's another source that puts the number of realms at five. But when you put this particular description beside the others, it becomes pretty quickly apparent that none of it makes any literal sense. And I spent a lot of time trying to figure out a way to patch them all together or create some type of Larry Niven ring world type thing where all the realms could be intertwined. 
And then after reading one particular academic article, uh, which I'll dig up for a future episode, I had an idea of how I could at least make it work and make it consistent, mostly. Stanza 32. Ratatosk is the squirrel who there shall run on the ash tree Yggdrasil. From above the words of the eagle he bears, and tells them to Nithog beneath. There are lots of animals that live on the world tree, above and below. Ratatosk is one of my favorites. There are eagles up top. There's Nithog, the, the corpse worm. He who strikes out from hatred is how uh, Rudolf Simek translates the name. It's just kind of a cool little universe that gets more and more important in my books as, as we go on. Stanza 44. The best of trees must Yggdrasil be. Skidbladnir, the best of boats. Of all the gods is Odin the greatest, and Sleipnir, the best of steeds. There's a couple more lines in this stanza, but I really enjoy the humor in that third line where Odin says that he is the greatest of the gods. And remember, this is toward the end of Grimnismal when Odin is about to well, first of all, it's Odin speaking about, in, he's in disguise, and he's speaking about himself, calling himself the greatest of the gods, which is just funny. And then he's about to reveal himself to to the King Gerard. A couple stanzas later, Odin names himself Gongleri, which means wanderer. And that name was not only important in this particular poem, but it becomes important in a future chapter of Kinsman Die. Thanks for listening.